0: Well, good morning, everybody. We're famous, aren't we? We're Donga. We're in the news on every major network on Wednesday morning, and we all survived the storm. Wasn't that fantastic? You made it through it, and that's great news. Um, w- w- We're just hoping that we make the headlines all around the wo- all around Australia, in the coming weeks with the ending of the forty days. Don't we? <laughs> Would that be great? <laughs> Um, it's great that you're here this morning and we just want to welcome you. We want to say whether you're old or young or whether you've been a Christian for a long, long time or if you're just beginning to think about what God might mean to you, you're welcome here in this church. It's a church that just want to say we want to welcome you and we want to feel at home. And we hope you've been feeling that in your small groups, your home groups, and that you've been enjoying getting to be part of the church. We just want to uh, ask Ruli, Ruli, would you come up here? We've been praying for Vera She's been in Indonesia, and you remember at the time when the tsunami hit in the weeks that followed, um, uh, Ruli's wife Vera was a medical doctor, and she happened to be not only a medical doctor, but she uh, knows how to speak Indonesian. She's Indonesian. She knows how to speak English, and she was able to work in a team, and she's been there working um, very hard for how many weeks now? Quite a lot. <laughs> Four, five, no, no, six. No, um, almost two months. Now. Almost two months. Yeah. Isn't that fantastic? Yes. She's, and, and we hear little reports back and she's very busy but doing a lot of good. Is, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But we just mentioned to the church, hey, wouldn't it be great if we could help uh, contribute to Vera and the cost of her going over and coming back. And we just want to say uh, great stuff, church. Here's $1,480 just to help cover the airfares and everything. And it's thank you. just a small amount, but we hope it helps. Why don't we just take a moment to pray for Vera? God, we want to thank you for Vera and for the way you're using her to serve you in Indonesia uh, in Aceh. God, we pray that you would give her strength, that she would be crying out to you each day for the needs in such a desperately needy place. Would you give her the strength to be your servant right where she is? God, we thank you for Vera. Thank you for Ruli. God, would you continue to minister to him while his wife's away? And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Thank you. And pass on our best wishes next time you're on the phone, okay? Great. Well, we're working through the 40 days of purpose and hasn't it been great fun to be together? Um, yeah. Yes, great <laughs> stuff. Did you know, uh, any, anyone heard of Elvis Presley? <laughs> you, you all laugh, isn't it? Because you think any chance I get I'm going to sing a song? <laughs> he, he performed that song... Uh, Baby Let Me Be Your Little Teddy Bear. Do you know that one? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, right. I know you do. Hound Dog. And he also did the Jailhouse Rock. And I'm not going to sing any of those for you today. You'll be pleased to know. But he, he's, he made such a huge impression in the short time of his life on earth. And people are still buying his records today. But in spite of his enormous success, do you know, Elvis Presley was, according to his friends, a really unfulfilled an unhappy man. He died of obesity and of drug dependency at just the age of 42. And in an interview that they had with his wife, Priscilla, she said these things about her husband. She said, Elvis never came to terms with who he was meant to be or what his purpose in life was. He thought he was here for a reason, maybe to preach, maybe to serve, maybe to save, maybe to care for people. That agonising desire was always with him and he knew he wasn't fulfilling it. So he'd go on stage and he wouldn't have to think about it. Now, Elvis didn't have a clue where to begin to look. In a sense, he was lost. And today we are continuing through the 40 Days of Purpose and we're going to look at God's fourth purpose for your life. And it should be there on top of your outlines. Now, you should have an outline right there in your news sheet. If you don't, nudge the person next to you because there should be two in every news sheet. And you should be able to now just lift up your hand if you don't have a pencil. And right now that will be delivered. Our pencil people are coming from everywhere at this moment. And while that's happening, um, remember the first purpose, anyone remember, it was to uh, love God uh, and to know God and to love Him. And that is? Fellowship. And the second one that we had, uh, without looking over here, was <laughs> fellowship. And the third purpose was fellowship. discipleship. Haven't we? <laughs> we're jumping ahead. We, we, have you, have you been becoming like Christ this week? It's been challenging, hasn't it? I know as I've been reading the readings uh, constantly in the book, I've been finding it very challenging. If you still haven't got a pen, pencil, so put your hand right up, and they're just coming now. That's it. Right down the front here, a couple, and some over there on that side. Great. We've got some right over here too, Ken. So, great. So on top of your outlines now, you'll see our, the fourth purpose today. You are shaped to serve God. You were shaped for serving God. Now, Elvis felt, felt like he was here to, to do something, perhaps to serve, to preach, to save, to do something with his life, but he just couldn't quite figure it out. And he, that's what his wife said. And today, my hope is that you would be able to figure out what your purpose is. What, I don't want you to make the same mistake as Elvis did. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, and why don't we read it together? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you circle the word workmanship there? You you were made to make a contribution, not just to consume. God made you to make a difference. And what matters is not so much how long you live, but how you live. What matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation that you make with your life. On this planet, nobody gets a free ride. We're all meant to actually give something back. We're all meant to make a a difference, make a contribution. The Bible says that you and I were created to serve. We were saved to serve. We're gifted to serve. We're shaped to serve. We're commanded to serve God back. Now, whenever God gives us an assignment do, Whenever he he says he wants us to do something, he never does that without actually equipping us first to do it. And in the next verse, Job says, your hands shaped me and made me. And of course, he's prepared us for the things that he's called us to do. And there's five things that God uses or gives us to help us to serve him. And the, the first letters of each word spells the word shape. The first one is he gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us spiritual gifts so that we can serve him. He gives us heart, desires, passions that, that draw us to some certain kinds of serving. He gives us abilities, natural abilities, that things that we're good at. And that we're just naturally good at doing. He's created you with a personality. You know, some people are extroverts, some are introverts. Some, you know, all kinds of different people with different personalities that he's given us so that we can serve him. And he's given us experiences. Some of us have been through incredible experiences that now help us to serve. And Keith Martin shared about the things that happened to him in a tragedy that helped him to be able to serve others as a result. And some of you have had experiences that help you to serve in that way. Now those five things make you and God uniquely shapes you different from anyone else. He's made you who you are, different from anyone else in the world for a purpose. And that purpose is to serve him. It's to to serve him. Now, We're not going to go into detail today on all those things that make up the word shape. But this coming week in your 40 days of purpose reading, you're going to be able to read all about those different things, spiritual gifts, hearts, abilities, personality and experiences. And you're going to be reading them this week. And I just hope that as we read those together, we'll be able to understand the unique way that God has gifted us and shaped us for service. But I do want you to notice this, um, that your uniqueness is not for your benefit. Look at this next verse. And why don't we read it aloud together from 1 Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he's received to make a lot of money. (laughs) What does it say? We've received it to (laughs) serve others. That's right. God's make you unique. Not for your own benefit, but for the benefits of others. He wants you to serve him. Remember that at the very start, the first words in the book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life. Can anyone remember what they said? It's not about you. God has made you to be you, and he's given you gifts and he's given you talents and abilities and backgrounds and experience and all these other things to be used not for you but to serve other people. That's why he gave them to you. So why don't you write this down? My fourth purpose in life is to serve God by serving others. You want to know why you're alive? Or well, that's why you're alive. You weren't put here on earth just to take up space, to consume, to get a free ride through life. You were put here to serve God, and the way you serve God is by serving other people. Now, some people actually, they they want to serve God, but they just don't want to serve others. (laughs) It just doesn't work that way. Um, you, You can't actually do that. The only way you can serve God is by serving others. That's how you serve him. And the Bible has a word for this purpose, and it's called ministry. That's right. And again, like worship and like fellowship and like discipleship, this word has often become misunderstood and misused. When I say the word minister, most people think of like a a priest or a or a pastor or someone you know that wears like a, a, a collar or big robes and 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 is very godly person. And he says, God, <laughs> let us pray. <laughs> you know that kind of stuff. That's what people think when they say minister. But the Bible says that every single believer is a minister. Now, not every believer is a pastor, but every believer is a minister. Ministry simply means that I'm using my talents, my abilities, my background, my experiences to actually help somebody else. And when you do that, that's called ministering. You're ministering to others and you're a minister. In the Bible, you know, the word service and ministry are actually the same word. And in the Bible, servant and minister are the same word too. So all of us are called to ministry. You say, I'm not called to ministry. That's not me. Yes, you are. You are called. If you've been saved by God, then you've been saved to serve. And he wants you to to serve. And so God's going to talk to you this morning about your ministry. Before we go on and before we talk about what your ministry is today, why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, hey, friend, you're a minister. Why don't you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. All right. Some of you are talking a lot like ministers now. You're just going on. <laughs> Anytime you use your talent, your gifts to help someone else, you are ministering. You're serving. And it's the fourth purpose of your life. You know, all women are ministers. All men are ministers. Little kids who serve are ministers, all old people are ministers. If we're believers, then we're called to serve Jesus Christ. Now, can you remember that I've said in kind of the first week that life is a preparation for something? Does anyone know what it is? For eternity. That's right. Our life here on earth is a preparation for eternity. And God wants you to do what you're doing here for the 60, 80, 90 years that you're here as practice. He wants you to practice that because that's what you're going to be doing in heaven forever and ever. And one of the things that you're going to do in heaven for eternity is to serve others. And God wants you to put in practice on earth what you're going to do in heaven. So the encouragement is for you to practice, 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 practice while you're living here on earth. He wants you to learn. And so we're going to talk about that today. And, and that's the good news, that God not only created you for service, but the good news is as well that he gave you a model. He didn't just say, I want you to serve me, but didn't explain to us how or show us how. God actually came to earth, Jesus came himself, and he said, this is how you do it. This is how you serve. I want you to watch me, he said. And so he came to earth in the form of man, Jesus Christ. And he said, watch the way I live. This is what I do with my life. I want you to do the same with yours. So you were created to be like Christ. And what Christ did while he was here on earth, he served. And so God wants you to serve just like Jesus did. Notice the next verse. Let's read this aloud together from Matthew 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Your attitude must be like my own, for I did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, listen to this, because it's really important. Your shape, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities... Your personality, your experiences. Your shape determines your ministry. But your attitude determines your maturity. You see the difference? There's a big difference. Your shape determines your ministry, what you do. You know what God wants to do with your life when you start to understand how he's shaped you. And you look at your spiritual gifts and you understand your abilities and you look at those and the personality that he's given you and all the experiences and you look at them and you say, well, that's how I know what what I've been uniquely created to do. But many people look at that and they don't understand the second part, that even though you might know what you want to do, the most important thing is how you actually serve, your attitude, the way you do that. And we're going to learn this morning about serving like Jesus did. You know, a lot of people spend a lot of time looking for their self-esteem. They they try and find their own self-worth. They try and find their significance in life. But many people, so many of them are looking in completely the wrong places. You don't get your self-worth from success. Because there's always somebody else who does a better job than you or who's more successful than you. You don't get your self-esteem from status. You don't get your self-esteem from sex. You don't get your self-esteem from your salary. The Bible says you get your self-esteem from service. Jesus said to give away your life. If you give away your life, then you'll find it. We're going to look at that today because... The actual greatest thrill in the world is to be used by God. Now, the greatest thrill in life is to be used by God, to actually be used when you're serving Him. And what does it take to be used and to learn to serve like Jesus? Well, it takes three things. Number one, and you can write this down, serving like Jesus means being available. It means being available. You know, One day, uh, Jesus was walking down the road. He was going to Jericho and some blind men started yelling at him. And the Bible s- says this in Matthew 20, in verses 30 to 32, two blind men shouted, Lord, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Now I want you to circle the word there, stopped. Jesus stopped. If you want to be used by God, if you want to serve God, you really must be willing to be interrupted. You might want to write that down somewhere. You know, if you want to be used by God, you need to be interrupted. You need to be willing to be interrupted. Most of Jesus' ministry and most of Jesus' miracles were interruptions. You think about it. All the people he healed, the blind man, the lame man, the sick people, the paralyzed man, the dead child, all of them were interruptions. Interruptions. His first miracle at a wedding. His second miracle, interrupted while he was on the way to Galilee. It says, Jesus stopped. You now, a lot of people uh, like to follow the steps of Jesus, you know, where, where Jesus traveled. Or what he, wouldn't it be interesting to study all the stops of Jesus? You know, all the times when he, when he stopped and studied them. Almost every miracle that he did he did them because he let himself be interrupted and the bible says this in proverbs 3:28 would you read it with me never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them now servant-hearted people don't procrastinate they're kind of spontaneous They're sensitive and they say, okay, let's do it. There's a need, let's do it. Here's what John Wesley's motto was. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can, by all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. (laughs) Wow, that's great. That's greatness, isn't it? And what it... And that's really what it means to be shaped to serve God. You've got to be available. You must be willing to actually step out and say, okay, I'm out of my comfort zone. God, what do you want me to do? There are hurting people all around us, aren't there? Everywhere. There are people who are wounded that really won't wait. They need our help. And we've got to help them now. Now, what keeps us from being available? What keeps you and I from being available? You see, a lot of us say, I'd like to be used by God. I'd really like his power in my life. I'd like to serve God, but I'm just not available. And what is it that keeps us from being available? And we put together a bit of a, a video, you know, like the home group host home group things. This is some of the fears that people have about serving, what keeps them from being available.
1: Welcome everyone. This is our first meeting of Non-Servers Anonymous. My name is Gerald and I am a reformed non-server. Thank you very much. Let's start our sessions they are meeting today by sharing a little bit about ourselves and you know, why are we a non-server. And let me remind you all that this is a safe place, so feel free to share. This is confidential. Nothing goes outside of this group. Okay? Let's start with you.
2: Well, um, my name's Cassandra and I'm a non-server. <laughs> I've really feel that God has created me to to be served, not to serve, Um, I've got a lot of needs and these needs need to be fulfilled and and I just haven't got time to be able to serve other people. Um, I'm really glad that I could come here tonight and I've just written down a few things that are some of my needs um, that I really need to be fulfilled. Um, Okay, Um, well, I need my house to be cleaned. It's a um, it's a five bedroom house, three bathrooms. It's really difficult to maintain on my own. Um, I need my rubbish to be taken out um, every um, week. Collection day is on Fridays if anyone's available. Um, I need my dog to be taken for a walk um, once a week. I just hate dog hair yep. on my hands. Um, and actually, I get my nails done once a week. Um, they really need to be done. Um, this Wednesday, actually, I've got an appointment at ten o'clock. Thanks. Thanks um, well, what I was much. thinking was if I someone could take really the dog while really I. this is really good. This is
1: really good that you're sharing all this sort of stuff. Now, yeah, yeah thanks very much. Um, right, I, think we'll got got go, I think we need to move on. Is it all right if we move on? Okay. Great. Okay. Thanks very much. It's all right. Okay. okay. Let's let's hear from you.
3: Hi. Well, I'm Claire. And I'm a non-server. Awesome. Um, I've also got some things to share. But um, before we do that, please more... <laughs> yeah. Thanks very much. <laughs> Thank you. D- distracting me. <laughs> so yeah. Um, now I don't serve at the moment because I'm just waiting for the right conditions. And once we get a little bit of order and the right conditions, then we'll say. I have. Mm, uh...
1: What are the right
3: conditions for serving? Okay. No, I'm glad you asked. Well, there's a number of things actually. Um, I'm just waiting for yeah, life to settle down. Um, I've got two, two children and um, I'm waiting for them to be off my hands. I'm waiting for my... Husband's business to settle down and, and for things to be okay there. I'm waiting just for gym Things that pop up in your life that that can disrupt the the harmony and the, the order that goes on. I'm just waiting for just for everything to settle down.
1: And and how old are your children?
3: Uh, one is ten months and one is two, three, three now. Right,
1: that's wonderful. It's going to be quite some time, really, isn't it, before <laughs> you
3: can serve? Yes, yeah, yes. I'm I'm glad you understand. And and just I, I'm. You may not have picked this up, but I'm quite an organised per- person. I like things to be just so, and, and so I'm waiting for the right people to come up that I might be able to serve with. I have a real eye for detail, so if I can be working with pe- other people that have an eye for detail, then then that is what yeah, would be really good for yeah. me. Sounds like you've got very high
1: standards, and maybe it'll be a very long time before you serve, and maybe not ever, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's... Mm. Well, thanks very much for, for sharing. Yeah, that's one of them. Now, um, our last person, <laughs> would you like to share?
4: Well, my name is Byron, and I'm a non-server. That's good. The reason I don't serve is that I'm, I'm just too busy. There's not enough hours in the day. I work extremely long hours. and. The spare time I do have is filled with you know, business meetings, and then there's um, my investment portfolio. There's business lunches, the late lunches, the, the dinners. So much to do, and, yeah. and where, where do you fit it all in? I mean, I've tried to cut back my hours, but How'd I, you go with that? well, my wife and I have kind of become accustomed to the lifestyle in which we live, and yes. you know, we cut back the hours, we cut back the money, and there's yeah. you know, there's always something to buy. I mean, there's was that boat I'm thinking of buying at the moment, yeah. it goes so great on the river. We should go for a burl one time. Yeah, Will yeah. I buy it, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, we want to go on that overseas holiday and there's that plastic surgery my wife's going to get later on this year. But... Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be fantastic. So basically, you know, that's why I don't serve, because the priority's the money coming in. Yeah, sure. Mm. Byron, thanks for sharing, mate. Yeah. That's really good. That's That's, good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really good. Mm. It's
1: been wonderful, guys. It's been wonderful sharing about you know the, our, our issues that we've got with serving, mm-hmm. and I just want to encourage you to come back next week, as then we're going to look at how we can kind of push through, how we can start to serve. It's just as well that it's a very long course, isn't it? Really. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks.
0: <laughs> Let's give them a round of applause, hey. Now, let me give you three barriers, three common barriers that keep us from serving. And the first one, number one, is self-centeredness. And you saw uh, Cassandra in the video uh, having this uh, trait. You know, self-centeredness is one of the barriers that can keep us from actually serving. Um, the Bible says, forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. <clears throat> Whenever you see a need right in front of you, guess what? God is giving you an opportunity to actually practise serving. Let me say that again. Any time you see a need right in front of you, right in front of your face, and it's real obvious that someone needs help, God is giving you an opportunity to actually serve to learn, to serve, to be like Christ. You see, the number one enemy of compassion is busyness. We just get too busy, don't we? Because I'm so busy, I don't have time to serve. I've got my agenda. I've got my plans, I've got my dreams, I've got my goals and my ambitions. And you know what the problem is? We hang right over our hearts, a sort of do not disturb sign (coughs) that says, you know, right now in this time in my life, I'm too busy to help. It's almost like we put that in the face of the needs that come up. I've got my goals. I've got my safe little life going on here, so don't disturb me with the needs of other people. When Mandy and I got married, we uh, went to the Spent the night in the Sheraton Towers Hotel. It's the poshest <laughs> night we've ever had. And uh, one of the things that happen when you go to hotels like this, which I'm sure you're all aware of, or <laughs> probably not. Uh, but what, what, there's these people that are not, they're kind of like porters, but they're people that are inside the hotel. And the whole reason they're there is to do whatever you ask them to. You know, There's nothing that they that they won't do to help you. They'll bend over backwards to help you, and uh, you know if you need shoe polish or you need your shoes shined, they'll organise that for you. If you need to know where a good Italian restaurant is, they've got it, and they'll let you know who it is, give you the number, and everything. They're there just to help you, to serve you. And my brother was a—I've told you before—he's a federal policeman, and uh, he was—he looks after. Uh, important people like a VIP protection is his role and he was in um, Saudi Arabia not so long ago and he was in one of these really top hotels and he has a, a gun, a, like a dangerous gun that they keep locked up in a steel case and something happened with the combination it got jammed. And this guy at the top restaurant, at the top hotel said, I'll fix it, just leave it with me. So he was able to get expert locksmiths and everything, so that by the morning it was un- unlocked and he could get the gun. So they'd do anything, these people. you know. <laughs> it's just amazing. But I have to admit, when I go to a place like this and, and uh, I've got some needs, I always feel a bit funny about asking them. You know, I'm a kind of a little bit apologetic. I'm always. I mean, I'm not always in these places. But every now and again when I go. <laughs> but you know what, what people, when you feel like you're, inconveniencing these people you know i say look I was just wondering if you could help us in this way and normally they say oh Mr Stark this is not a problem this is what we're here for we love to serve you and they really do they want to help no matter what then no bother Mr Stark no problem at all this is what we do you see real servants don't mind being interrupted it's not a problem for them. If you really have a servant heart like Jesus Christ, then you, you don't mind being in, interrupted because your agenda is God's agenda. And if, if, if people need to be ministered to by God, then it's on your priority list. You get up in the morning and you say, okay, God, you want to bring somebody into my life today? Bring them in. Bring them on. i say it again almost every every miracle almost every act of ministry that Jesus did he did it when he was being interrupted we have this self-centeredness that gets in the way and it gets to be a real barrier you know the second barrier being used by God is perfectionism and that was clear in the video Um, perfectionism You know, we're just waiting for the time when everything will be perfect. Just when things work out right, that's when we'll serve. This is what it says in Ecclesiastes 11 and verse 4. Why don't we read this together? If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Anyone, anyone want to give a personal testimony about that <laughs> verse? It's true, isn't it? Um, real servants you know, Christ-like servants do the best they can with what they have for Jesus Christ today they don't wait for perfect conditions uh, you know what, what's, what has happened here in, in many areas of life in Australia that we've come to hold up this value of excellence really high you know businesses uh, everywhere we go excellence is a, a, a value that's held up high and you know even Christians and many churches have taken on the fact that we've got to be excellent in everything that we do and you know um, they they sort of say well if you can't do it first class then don't even try you know and there's a Greek term for that uh, in the Greek translated rubbish (laughs) it's not true it's not true Here at Wodonga District Baptist Church, we actually don't believe in that. Here we we practise kind of the good enough principle. And the good enough principle is this. It doesn't have to be perfect for God to actually bless it. That's true. If God used perfect people, He wouldn't get anything done in this world. There'd be nothing, not a thing, not one iota would be done. We're a bunch of misfits. We're a bunch of people with problems. We we all have weaknesses. We all have faults. We all have failures, every single one of us. We've all got different kinds of things which which aren't perfect. But guess what? God uses us all anyway. He uses us. Why? Why? Because God doesn't use perfect people because there aren't any. He uses imperfect people. There aren't enough uh, kind of superstars in the world to get it all done. So God uses normal people. We've actually seen this in practice when you know, 66 of you decided, I'm going to open up my home for the 40 days of purpose. I'm going to be a, a home host. And you're going to op- you open up your homes and you know, now we've got 650 people that are being blessed because you 66 decided that you'd open up your homes. Why? Because normal, ordinary, average, everyday people kind of said my house isn't perfect and I'm not perfect. You know, it's not my conditions of my schedule and my daily plans aren't perfect. I don't know the Bible perfectly. I'm not a perfect host, but I could give it a go anyway. I'll give it a shot. And guess what? So many people are finding it's a real blessing and it's helping so many others. And you could do it. And you did do it. You know, when things settle down, they aren't going to settle down. They're never going to settle down. Things aren't ever going to get perfect. They're just not. So go ahead and start serving when things aren't settled down. Now, the number three barrier to, to getting us serving is materialism. Materialism. It keeps, from, it keeps us from being available to serve. Jesus said this. He said, no servant can serve Two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Would we'll you circle that word there? Cannot. Cannot. You know, he didn't say you should not serve both God and money. You notice that? He said you cannot serve God and money. You've got to decide whether you want to be rich or whether you want to be blessed. Really? You've got to make a choice. Do I want to be rich or do I want to be blessed? What's the number one priority in my life, you have to say? You see, you get, we get so busy taking care of things that you don't actually have time to take care of people and that's a real problem. It's a problem. The most important decision you're ever going to have to make in your life is once you become a believer is, am I going to be a kingdom builder Or am I going to be a wealth builder? Now, if God wants to give you wealth, well, that's great. That's wonderful. But it's not to be your number one goal in your life. Why? Because you're not going to take your wealth with you to heaven. But you are going to take your character with you. So you say, I'm going to be a kingdom builder. I'm going to put that first in my life. And I'll let God take care of whatever he wants to in the rest. If your job is going to keep you from having some kind of service, then you need to really make some kind of adjustment so you can become a kingdom server. Phil's going to come and continue to share some other ways that we can serve. Great. Let's give him a round of applause. Philip Weeks.
1: My name's Gerald. No, it's not. Serving means being available. And you know what else it means? Serving like Jesus also means being grateful. To serve like Jesus, we have to serve gratefully. Grateful that we get the opportunity even to serve. The Bible tells us a story in John chapter 11 of Jesus serving in an incredible way. His friend Lazarus has just died, and he goes there. And the people at the, where Lazarus has died are expecting that he's coming for a funeral. But Jesus has a different idea in mind. He's actually going there to do ministry, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Now, he could have walked straight up and you know, said a prayer to himself inside and not said anything out loud to anybody, but he decides to pray out loud so that we can hear today and so that those people there could hear his prayer. And so he says in John 11, verses 41 to 42, Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here. I want them to know that I'm grateful that you heard me. So Jesus has this attitude of gratefulness in everything that he did he started with gratefulness and that was his attitude in his ministry now you might think that i'd be grateful too if i could raise people from the dead but there was more to it because jesus was grateful in the tough times jesus was grateful when he was criticized and jesus was grateful when things weren't easy in his ministry that was the attitude that he had in his ministry Ministry, miracles, always happened in this attitude of gratefulness. The Apostle Paul, he was also grateful. He he said, I thank Jesus Christ because he trusted me. He gave me this work of serving him. And the Bible talks about our attitude as well of being grateful in Psalm 100 verse 2. Let's read this verse together. Serve the Lord with gladness. And you know why? Yeah, why why do we serve God with gratefulness? You know, what do we have to be grateful for? Now, why do we serve God not with a sense of duty, you know, but with a sense of delight? Not out of a sense of obligation, but a sense of the great opportunity that he's given to us. And here's the answer the golden answer. We serve him with gratefulness because he's given us life through the death of his son, Jesus. He saved us. Now, if he never did anything else for us, and he has, but if he never did anything else, that one thing would be enough for us to be grateful to serve him for the rest of our lives. Let's look at the Bible, what it has to say in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. Let's read it together. It is he who saved us and chose us for his holy work. Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan. He saved us, and out of a gratefulness for this, what he has done for us, us, we serve him. Now, as human beings, I think we tend to trip over ourselves on the way to serving God, on the way to this attitude of gratefulness. And I think there are some things that get in the way, and one of them, the first one, is the barrier of comparing and criticising. When we compare to others, when we criticise others, this is a barrier that gets in the way of us being grateful. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14, verse 4, "'Who are you to criticise someone else's servant? The Lord will determine whether his servant has been successful.'" Now, we're all his servants if we put our trust in him, in Jesus. And so it's a matter of his opinion, you know, not my opinion, not your opinion. It's Jesus' opinion. It's God's opinion. Now, competition with each other in service, it just doesn't make sense when you come right down to it. When you think about it, we're on the same team. You know, we're going towards the same goal. All of us as Christians, if we are, we're trying to make God look good to the world. So he's given us these different tasks and different abilities so that we can serve him in this way. So to think that someone can actually, you know, or we can actually compare and criticise when we've got different tasks and abilities, you know, it's ridiculous. Let me illustrate this. Four years ago, I acquired my first car four years ago. That's pretty lame, some of you are saying, isn't it? I've been driving other cars around. That was good. Freebie on my hand. This car was a Ford Cortina wagon. Bluey grey, because it had been faded by the sun. And uh, my mum and dad bought it for me. It was my car. 500 bucks. That's what it cost. Now, this baby was beautiful. Now, it wasn't beautiful maybe to the eye, but I know, I remember I'd been praying about a vehicle because I needed to get from my university out in Melbourne out to a place called Gisborne and then back and then I needed to get home to Alexandra. So this car was a great provision, and I remember when it came, you know, five hundred bucks. I just went, how good is God? You know, how good is God is providing me with this car, and it's it was great. Then I went around to my friend's house, and his father was a neurosurgeon. <laughs> And his car was an Audi TT. (laughs) For the uninformed. The Audi TT is very nice. (laughs) Beautiful, sleek lines. You know, just sit in it. It's kind of like you don't want to get out, really. Very expensive and very good. And all of a sudden, I was comparing this Audi TT with this bomb of a car. (laughs) And I can remember that, you know... I started, you know, I thought about the way I used to get into my car and it was through the back tailgate. Open it up and climb over the back seat into the front seat because three of the door handles were broken. And all of a sudden, the Corti was not quite cutting the mustard. But the sad thing was that this, when I got the car, I was so thankful to God for this car. And now I was comparing it against an Audi TT. Now, I think that's how ridiculous when it comes down to comparisons. Now, a funny little story, but how many of us might actually compare what we do in serving to what someone else does? Oh, mine's a bit rubbish, what I do. What they do, Jonathan gets to go and stand up front there, or so-and-so does this, or so-and-so does that, and you just, you're putting yourself down. Or you might even be looking down at other people. Oh, they just do that, you know? It's silly. It's ridiculousness, if that's a word. And I think I'm like you, it's, it's human nature. I think we can like to compare ourselves with other people, and all it does is it steals the gratitude and the joy from our hearts, from our lives. I mean, look at all that God's done for us. You know, and that's what we have to do. When we look at this, then we have gratitude. There's no longer any need to compare and criticize. And I realize that any time spent comparing and criticizing, is time wasted, time I could have spent being grateful for all that God has done. We need to begin to live more than we ever have before for God's approval, not for other people's approval, but for an audience of one. Comparing and criticising get in the way of gratefulness. Well, the second way we get in the way is with wrong motivations, and that's our own wrong motivations. The Bible talks about in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, says, Jesus said, When you do good deeds, don't try to show off. If you do, you won't get a reward from your Father in heaven. The wrong motivation of showing off. Self-promotion and servanthood, they don't mix. But it's very easy to mix them up. A lot of our service, let's just be honest here, it can be self-serving at times. We need to be really honest with ourselves about this. Sometimes we serve to get others to like us. Sometimes we serve to be admired. Sometimes we serve to achieve our own goals. And sometimes we serve as a sort of a bargaining chip with God. God, I'll serve you, but you know... Take care of me over here. You know, all kinds of of funny motivations. We're serving, but all the time we're serving, we're thinking about how noble we are. You know, we're humble, all right, but the whole time we're thinking pridefully about how humble we are. That's the struggle of service. So let's admit it. Sometimes servanthood is just our way to try and manipulate God. And it's hard to see the wrong motivations in us. I have them. And you have them. Well, how do we know? How do we know if we have a wrong motivation in our serving? Gratitude. When you lose a sense of gratefulness, of gratitude in your life, you can know right away there's something wrong with my motivation. Losing the gratitude is a strong indicator that all is not well that there is something wrong with the motivation of service in my life. Wrong motivations don't last. That's the problem with them. Wrong motivations get us caught up with the wrong things. But there are some very good motivators that will keep us serving for a lifetime. In fact, we asked some people to talk to us about what it was that motivated them, what it was that actually got them into service. Take a look at this.
5: Well, I first got involved in the kids ministry from um, filling out the directory forms and um, on the back it had a list of different things you could do within the church to help out and I thought if I was going to get involved and help out in some way I'd put my name down for the kids ministry because I have two small children and so I did that and shortly after that I got called up and I got put in the crèche department and um, helped out there for a couple of months and then I was asked to go and head up the little kids area and I did that for about 12 months with my husband and then uh, Joan asked us to help out in the junior kids area and start of last year we've been coordinating that with a couple of other people and we've found a, it's great ministry it's been fantastic and it's always changing but it's very good and this year we're, we're heading up again with two other people and yeah looking forward to it.
6: What got me serving in pastoral care was, um, quite some years ago, our friend and I were talking about um, the fact that there was a few people in our church that seemed a bit lonely or elderly, a bit shut in, that couldn't get out quite as often as what they might like and so we saw that there was a real need um, to perhaps start doing some visiting and we prayed to God and we felt that he was saying um, you go, um, you have the time and you've seen the need and I placed, he obviously placed it on our hearts that um, this was a really um, good thing to do so that's how I got started in pastoral care was just um, saw the need, had the time and um, yeah, just responded to that.
7: I could see there was a need for some sort of organisation in the um, car parking facility and then when um, members were asked if they were prepared to volunteer and give a a hand, uh, I was quite happy to do that. We um, we found that it was necessary to have three people at all times to direct because of the large numbers of cars that we had and I also felt that whoever was up front um, was the first face that people would see when they arrived at the church if you could be pleasant. You could smile. Give them a wave. Direct them into the uh, right area. It was a good start um, for them and for us, and hassle-free parking for uh, everyone concerned.
4: What got me serving was when I came to a point in my life when I realised how much Christ had done for me, and I just realised that the least I could do was to serve Him.
0: So there's uh, what got some people started in serving. Now, if you want to learn to serve like Jesus, you have to learn to serve with a grateful and generous heart. You actually make yourself available. You make yourself grateful. There's a third thing. Serving like Jesus means being faithful, being faithful. Now, what does that mean? It means you don't give up. You keep going. You don't quit in the middle of your assignment. At the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, Jesus said this in John 17 and verse 4. He said, I have bought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. I wonder if you could circle that word, completing the work, those words. And then would you circle that you gave me to do as well? I really hope and, and long that you would be able to say at the end of your life when you, when you get to heaven that you could look at Jesus and you could say, I've completed the work that you gave me to do. God, God, I've done exactly the things that you've called me to do. I've finished the task. I've completed the work. Jesus was faithful in his service. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He was persistent. And if you're going to be like Jesus, then it means you're going to have to serve as long as you're alive. For the rest of your life, you're going to keep serving. Now you might retire from your job one day. Maybe there's a time when your job comes to an end and you retire. But you're never going to retire from ministry. God will always have something for you to serve him in. Because God wants you to serve for the rest of your life. And as I've said earlier, God just doesn't want us to coast on through life. He wants us to be be giving out right through it. So what motivates us to keep going? This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 2. The one thing required of servants is that they be faithful. So how do we be faithful? What motivates us to stay faithful in serving God over the long haul? Well, there are two or three things. Well, actually, there's a, a lot of things. Um, what Phil talked about, about being grateful for all the past um, that, that God's actually forgiven us of in our life, to be, to be grateful for that. If God actually never did anything else for me, uh, if he never did another thing for me, I, I could serve him for the rest of my life, for the things that he's already done in my life, in dying on the cross for me and forgiving me of my sin. I, I owe him the whole rest of my life for that. And when I think of uh, trust and faith in future rewards, I, I think, gee, uh, you know, as I continue to trust him and as I continue to look forward to the future and the rewards that I'll get, it's incredible. You know, he said you're going to be rewarded for whatever you do In eternity, you're going to be rewarded forever and ever for the things that you do here on earth when you're serving others. That's what you're going to be. You're going to be rewarded. So, when we have gratitude for the past and when we have uh, faith in our future that we're going to be rewarded for the things that we do in eternity, then that helps us to keep on going. Now, let's be honest most of the time, most of us think that the things that we do, uh, we don't always feel that they really matter. We, we really want to know that what we're doing right now does matter, but often we feel like it doesn't. You know, and perhaps some of the things that we're doing right now won't matter next week or in a month's time, or perhaps they won't matter in a decade's time or in eternity. But any time you're serving Jesus, no matter uh, in, in how small or how insignificant it feels, if you're serving Jesus in, and in his name, then the Bible says that it is, it, it is matter. It does matter. It is going to make a difference. Look at what uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says. Let's read this aloud together. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master Confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Notice nothing. Notice nothing. That means every single thing that you do for Jesus matters. Even the little stuff. Even the stuff that nobody notices. Why? Because in God's book, there is no little stuff. There is no little service. He said even if you give a cup of cold water to a child in my name, then that counts. In God's eyes, there's really no little service. Now, if you're going to be, learn to be a servant of God, you must learn the difference between significance and prominence. These things aren't really the same, significance and prominence. You see, on my, at the moment, my nose is quite Prominent on my face. You can see it. It sticks there at the front. But you see, I could actually lose my nose. You could chop that nose right off. And uh, I could still live the rest of my life without my nose. It's true. While it's prominent, it's not significant. On the other hand, if I lost perhaps my liver, I'd be in big trouble. It's not very prominent at all. In fact, none of you have ever seen my liver. <laughs> but if I lost it, I'd be dead. A lot of people you know, think that if something is given a lot of visibility, that it's kind of the most important. But it's not true at all. Uh, in fact, the stuff behind the scenes is more important, God says, He says the parts of your body that you don't see are more important than the parts that you do see. And the same is true of the body of Christ. It all matters, every part of it. You see, the fact is, from our limited perspective, we can't see how small acts have huge consequences. We can't see that, but they do. Small acts have huge consequences. Several years ago, there there were two teenage boys who tried to come into a church service Um, perhaps like this, it was actually a a night service and they tried to squeeze in and it was packed and they couldn't actually find a seat. So they turned around and they decided to walk out. But one usher came up and he said, come on you guys, I'll I'll find you a seat. So he took the time, he ushered them personally down to a seat right down to the centre and he had them sit right in the middle in two seats. And you know that night, those two boys accepted Christ and became Christians, and one of them was Billy Graham. And Billy Graham has now led millions and tens of millions of people to Christ. Do you think that usher is actually going to get any credit in heaven? You betcha he is. He's going to get credit for that. You know, we've got no idea how important the little insignificant acts that we do, small things that don't seem significant to us but are are achieving. So you never know. So don't belittle the little. It's all important. Real servants do every task with equal dedication because they know that it all matters. It doesn't matter if you're doing something that's uh, that is well known or if you're doing something that's... Not well-known. It's not important. If it's known or well-known, it's important that you do it with dedication. It's all important. Would you write this down somewhere just to the side, somewhere where you can find a little spot? Don't mistake anonymous with insignificant. Don't ever do that. Don't mistake anonymous with insignificant. Because it's not known. Just because you, it's not known doesn't mean it's unnecessary or insignificant. Let me give you a little quiz this morning. You know, let's see if you know these. Do you know the name of the person that helped you find your car park spot this morning when you were coming in? Do you know the person who's teaching your children right now? Some of you do, but I'll guarantee it, and not everyone will. Do you know the musicians who are on this stage, the names of them? Some of you don't know their names at all. Do you know the people who are ensuring right now that my voice is being heard, especially you guys up the back? You wouldn't be able to hear me if these people weren't doing their, their job. Did you know the person who came in uh, during the week and restocked the toilet so that... You know. <laughs> You can be thankful for them. Their job was important. You mightn't even know who they were, but they were good. You know, do you know the person who stuffed the bulletin full of all the things that you, you need? You, isn't it great to know that so many people whose names you'll never know are doing things? Someone vacuumed this room, cleaned it this week, so that we could sit here today and it's clean. The truth is that all of them were done by people who were volunteers, who many of their names we don't know. You don't know. But it's all important. It all is important, every bit of it. So real servants do real tasks and do every task as if they matter because they know they do. Let me give you a little taste of hidden heroes in our church. Just started making a little list just, just today. Did you know that John and Eunice Boyce come down to the church every Friday morning and they unload whippersnippers and lawn mowers and blowers off the back of their four-wheel drive and, and trailer and they get to, get to work around making this place look great on the outside. They're snipping and cutting and chipping and doing everything so it looks great. Before they started doing this, Helen Manderslut did this for years um, as well. How about Mal and Diane Thomas? Every week Diane comes early on Fridays and cleans the administration office. And each week Mal leads a team of people who record the services. Now they're on CD. And at the moment, you know, there's about 50 or 60 uh, that go each week. And, and they're just doing those things voluntarily. What about... Doug and Sue Rosevear. Doug, each week, he gives hours and hours of his time putting together PowerPoint presentations, producing and editing videos that we've seen today, and all the announcements that you see are often done by Doug. You know, He recently spent literally days so that you and I could uh, spend time during the memorial services for the tsunami victims. He put hours and hours, literally days, into those times. All, you you, you don't even know who does it, but that's Doug that's been doing a lot of that. You know, um, Sue opened her home to women on the second Thursday of each month with Karen Robinson, and they've seen this just continue to grow uh, in doing that. How about Deborah Smith and Julie Keeble? You hardly ever see their faces, but you, you get... The Living Life magazine every two week, two months. Wouldn't that be a lot? Every two months, they bring it out, and it's fantastic. And the work and the dedication that they put into that, so that we can know what's going on in this church. And they do that. And often, many of us have never know who they are. You know, Deborah also just uses her own equipment and uh, to to produce. Um, flyers and that for the different ministries in our church and she does this at a hugely reduced cost for our ministries, so that things can get done and Jeff Pryor he and his team have overseen seen small groups as they've grown from 15 to 30 and now during the 40 days there's over 66 home groups that you're all a part of and just trying to get people uh, all that administration is overwhelming to me But to Jeff and his wife Mary and the team, uh, David and and Lee and also Julie, it's a joy to administer that (laughs) and it's incredible. And Jeff's also now leading the 40 Days of Purpose team while he's just doing his normal full-time job, all voluntarily. Avril Peel, she ensures that people who are hungry and who come to the church looking for food and, and needing something to eat no matter what time, that they're able to be helped by our church. She opens up the groceries and gives them bags of food so they can be helped and their families can eat, all voluntarily. Jim Pickering parks your cars every uh, week. Him and the team together, and they spend lots of time trying to figure out how we can fit more cars in and get them parking just the right way so that you and I can get into there. We could go on and on. I could just keep literally going through person after person who uh, aren't always known, but what they do is significant. I know some of you are saying, well, you know, a church this size, it doesn't need my help. <laughs> 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 Seriously, we do. There are so many things and uh, needs that are unmet every day. You know, we spend time often and and, and it's hard to meet all the needs that are here as as well. And um, there's always more needs available than people that are available that can meet them. Because of these, this is why God has given us this purpose of ministry, that we're shaped to serve him because he wants us all to get involved, to help. He didn't bring you here to Wodonga District Baptist Church just to sit and to soak. He brought you here because he knew you had something to give, to give back to him. He he, he wants you to serve him and he knew you had something, some background, some talent, some skill, some experience that could be used. God brought you here for a reason. I wonder if we could just spend a few moments now listening to some people who are serving again and to see, you know, what is it that keeps these people going on in the ministries that they serve in?
5: times it's a bit tiring but it's very fulfilling and each of the kids are different. It's just amazing each week and just knowing that we're helping the kids to learn but they're also teaching us. It's just a great ministry and I couldn't be without it now I'm involved.
6: What keeps me serving in pastoral care? Um, is. Oh, many things I suppose. Um, It's changed a bit from when I first started in that it is a more structured pastoral care and we work as a team with um, quite a few others under the guidance of um, Gail. But it's as we go to visit these people, and the response that you get when you go, you think that you go to help help cheer them up or you know, just spend some time with them in conversation and, and they may share some of their lives with you and that's a real privilege. But you go thinking that you're going to bless them, but really what happens for me, I find on many occasions is that I come away just feeling so blessed. And I thank God that he's really placed those people in our hearts and that we do respond to God by going to visit them.
7: What keeps me serving? I think this is my way of, um, of serving the Lord. It also is serving the people of this church, the church family, and um, helping them out. I also feel that uh, it's very pleasant, pleasing when people say it's great to have you here. I uh, wouldn't have where to go otherwise, and it's good to get good, clear instructions. Uh, it's a good start for the, for the day for us, and uh, I guess it's a good start for Jim. It keeps him happy as well.
1: What keeps me serving is is the
0: joy that I get
1: out of seeing uh, people's lives changed um, through the things that I do, and I realise that that's
0: only Christ in me. Uh, that it's it's not about what I can do, but it's Christ in me. This week, during the forty days of purpose, you're going to be able to read. Uh, we're going to be reading together about the shape. You know, discovering your shape, learning about your spiritual gifts, your heart, your attitude, you know, your personality and your experience and how God has uniquely shaped you. And there are so many opportunities and ways that you can serve. We just thought we'd quickly show you now just some of the different people who are involved in serving in our church and some of the things that they do. Why don't we have a look at this together? Well, it's great to see all those different ministries and different people that are using their gifts. Now, listen, when you boil it all down to it, there are uh, two things that you can do with your life. You can actually waste it or you can invest it. You can waste it or invest it. Now, some of you have had investments that have gone really bad. I mean, if you put... Uh, $10,000 on the stock market five years ago, you would have seen it go, mm, and only just getting it back. Some of you bought houses have been terrible investments as, you, as you've just had to sell at the wrong time. You know, on earth, our investments aren't always guaranteed, the returns of them. But every time you serve, every time you serve, you're investing in eternity. One day you're going to stand before God and he's going to say to you, what did you do with what I gave you? You know, the talents, the abilities, the backgrounds, the experiences, the freedom, the education, the family experiences. What did you do with your shape? Well, God, you might say, I was a little busy. You know, the the conditions weren't right. I had all my plans. I was a bit afraid. I never got round to serving you. And God's going to say, wrong answer. What were you thinking? Do you think I put you on earth to live for yourself? I put you on earth to serve me by serving others. Now, you may think nobody's watching you. Nobody's noticing you. But God is watching you in whatever small things you're doing. And look at this verse in Hebrews, chapter 6 and verse 10. He will not forget how hard you've worked for him. And how you've shown your love to him. How? By caring for other Christians. That's how we've shown our love for him. And God keeps his promises. You know, on earth, uh, they give rewards for 10 years of faithful service. You know, you get long service leave or you get a, a, a badge or something. But in heaven, you get eternal rewards. Look at the next verse in Matthew 25 and verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, so I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness." You know, church, more than anything else, I want you to be able to say, I've dedicated my life to serving so that I can stand before God one day and he'll say, well done. my desire is that you wouldn't know that. In fact, that's what I've dedicated my life to, trying to ensure that you are equipped and that I'm equipped and that together as a church we stand before him when we do. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You now, I started this message talking about Elvis, uh, a curious fact about Elvis. you know, The only Grammy that he ever won for an, uh, you know, an album out of the 250 million albums he sold was for a religious album. And that he recorded and it was called He Touched Me. And a song on that album expresses this, this very verse that we've just looked at. It says, After the lightning and thunder, after the last bell has rung, I want to bow down before Jesus and hear him say, Well done, my son. He is my reason for living. He is my King of kings. I long to be in his possession. He is my everything. And the question is, is God going to be able to say to you, well done, you spent your life serving me, well done. Is there anything in your schedule where you're sort of giving back unselfishly or are you too busy, are you holding back? Are you waiting for things to slow down? Do you have other priorities at the moment? One day, you know, Napoleon pointed to China and he said, there lies a sleeping giant. And as I look out on our church, I think, Wodonga Baptist, here is a, a, a sleeping giant. If, if we all grabbed our gifts and our heart and our, our experiences and if we all used our shape to serve God, what an impact we would make church for God, for his kingdom here in Wodonga. I think would impact the whole of Victoria in Australia, if we would use our gifts, serving Him. Do you know the most important thing you'll ever do with your life is to serve God in ministry, as you serve Him in the way that you've been created. That's, that's right at the most important. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your hobbies. It's even more important than everything else you can do because those things aren't going to last forever, but you are. we were put on this earth to practice serving.